Life isn't about answers, it's about questions. Asking good questions is key to learning. That's a proven fact. And there's no more important question than why Jesus. So get ready as we dive into the conversation together on the next episode of the Why Jesus Podcast. On today's episode of the Why Jesus Podcast, we're going to be looking at the sound of freedom and talking about our perspective on this movie and some of the scandals that have just broke recently and how Christian music has kind of taken a turn for the strange with Flamey Grant. You heard that right. Flamey Grant, a drag queen Christian artist topping the charts recently in July. And finally, we're also going to talk about how someone was denied care based on their beliefs about transgender ideology. This and so much more on the next episode of the Why Jesus Podcast. Here we are, another episode. Welcome to another episode of the Why Jesus Podcast. With me, I have Daryl, Ryan, and LT. How's it going, fellas? Salute, salute, salute. I haven't seen these brothers. I haven't. I mean, I haven't spoke to these brothers in like less than eight point five seconds. We talk all day, every day. <laughs> so I'm, I'm grateful for these brothers, man. And uh, yeah, this this is my part two again. Uh, like last week, this is my part two for the evening. There's still eschatology talk on my channel right now, <laughs> so I'm happy to be here with my why Jesus brothers. Yeah, we, we said yeah, yeah. in the green room before that you have to get some kind of reward because you left your own channel that's live streaming <laughs> to come hang out here. But that's what it's about. That's awesome. How, how are you doing, LT? How's it going, Ryan? What What's up in your guys' worlds as we start today? Um, I'm just wondering uh, which one of you guys' uncles is dressing up as Flamey Grant. <laughs> nobody got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, we're good, man. man. We're good. Yeah. I'm excited for the conversation tonight. No matter yeah, who's on it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's it's maybe somebody's. And if you're here, let us know in the chat. But um, so we're we're going to we're going to start off tonight uh, talking about the sound of freedom. And guys, I did something today. I went to the movies. I had some time and I went to the movies today. Uh, and I saw Sound of Freedom because I felt that I needed to at least see it. Now, I'm going to ask before we have any of the rest of the conversation, who else has seen the movie? I. Okay. Uh, okay. And don't feel bad, All right, Ryan, bad, leave Ryan. the chat. Get out. All right, you don't belong. <laughs> hey, Sound. Go. Disgusting with myself. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I could just put him back in the green room. There we go. We'll just do that, right? <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Jeremy. You know, uh, was it the same exact theater that you saw? It was. Okay. Was it the it same was the exact same. screen? Oh, I don't know if it was the same screen. No, this was a smaller one that I went and saw uh, the Deliverance movie come out in Jesus name. Uh, no, this this was uh, a smaller one of the smaller screens. It was one of their tiny ones. And there was only a few of us there. It was a, I went to the 915 in the morning show. Uh, so there wasn't many people in the movie theater and I, I will be honest, my, my feeling in the entire movie was 
man, I just want to go see my kids. Mm. Like I'm sitting there the entire movie yeah. and, and for whatever else we talk about tonight, um, th- I, that was the takeaway for, for someone who saw it is I cannot imagine going through something like this, whether you agree or disagree with statistics and other things or whatever else, if you bought into the QAnon um, stuff that was said, we can at least all agree that what happened to that family that was depicted in that movie is horrendous. And uh, man, I, I could not imagine going through that. So um, can you, yeah. sorry, can you just kind of explain to me what happened in the movie since I, I didn't see it? Yeah. So I'll give the non-spoiler review here. Cause I would encourage folks. I think it's worth seeing. Um, basically it's about uh, a agent named Tim Ballard who is working in the, uh, the government to stop pedophiles and he arrests pedophiles. I think he said 200 and something in the movie is what he was up to. But the question then was posed to him and how many children have you saved? And, and it got silent. He, he hadn't been able to, it's always been going after the pedophiles. So the, the show or the movie follows uh, based on a true story, the story of him going and trying to rescue kids now um, out of this uh, sex trafficking and I mean, we're saying all the buzzwords, probably YouTube will take this down, but, um, I mean, so yes, please give it a like, keep it up. Let the algorithm know you like this conversation. Yes, and so basically please. the movie follows him. Um, and there's some twists and turns to it. Uh, but it's really following the family of uh, a father and two children, mostly, uh, a, a brother and a sister in the movie. And what ends up happening is they get, tr- the father gets tricked, um, and the kids get taken. Um, and the, mm. the following of that, but it's not like Liam Neeson taken. It isn't this <laughs> grant, like the whole movie is gut wrenching, um, yeah. is, is how I felt there. It, it's, it's not, ep- it's not as much of an action movie as it is kind of, uh, I would say almost like a drama. Um, uh, because like, if you go in and thinking there's going to be a lot of like fight scenes and, you know, yeah, like you said, Liam Neeson, it's not like that. It's much more drama, much more yeah. emotional. Um, there's a little bit of action, but not a lot. So that, that was the, the overall 30,000 foot view of the movie. And I found it interesting, um, that there was so much controversy that came out about it, particularly around Jim Caviezel. And if some of you had seen that, we'll hop over here and take a look. So there had been some conversation about, oh, that's, (laughs) that was from last week. Sound of Freedom (laughs) is a superhero movie. For dads with brain worms, the QAnon tinged thriller about child trafficking is designed to appeal to the conscience of a conspiracy addled boomer. (laughs) Wow. Rolling Stone, Rolling Stone. And that's their perspective because they're linking specifically that Jen Caviezel has QAnon connections and some of the QAnon conspiracy theories that are out there have to do with child trafficking. And so they're putting two and two together and say, this is just a conspiracy theory movie. Right. What do you think about that? I mean, I heard some of the pushback, you know, that I, I heard that this was sort of the mainstream's talking point, that it's all sort of made up. And it's just to feed into the QAnon thing and all that stuff. But I really, I haven't spent enough time looking into it to research it. But I mean, the uh, my first thought 
is that it just doesn't make sense. You know, if this guy's if this guy is legit out there and stuff, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. Why would it be made up, and what would he be doing it for? Exactly. And it's one of those things for me uh, where two things can be true at once. Uh, for instance, like it can be true yes. that people have conspiracies in their mind that may be overblown or exaggerated or unsubstantiated. Um, so, for instance, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there on the far right tinges that will say things like the whole Hollywood is involved in like sex trafficking stuff. Whether or not that's the case, it's unsubstantiated. Um, but then something else can be true on the other end where it's like, yeah, but we all know that child sex trafficking actually is a thing and that thousands and thousands of kids every year are trafficked and used for sexual purposes. Uh, so like both of those are true. Like it's not like it's not like it's in either or situation. And it may be true that sound yeah. of freedom appeals to people who are conspiracy theorists, but it also appeals to the average person who has a conscience and a brain. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So like both things can be true at once. Well, and, and let's hop back here for a second, because I think the, the second thing is also helpful to see that. Look, look at the critic score versus the audience score here on Rotten Tomatoes. And for those of you that I gotta might be, be fair, listening, I got to be honest, though, that that tomato score is a lot higher than I thought it would be. Yeah, uh, I agree. I thought it would be lower because of those conspiracies. For those that might be listening on the podcast, if you found us on Spotify or any of the others, uh, the tomato meter is at a 69 percent and the audience score is at a 99 percent so uh, the the audience clearly had a reaction to it and here's what i'll say i, I was going to the movie hearing all of this already right i didn't go without that knowledge and i came away going this was still a good movie like even right. if you just take the movie for the story of it i think it's a good enough movie it's not perfect it's not great in some areas but it's a good movie it's a movie worth seeing and I think that it's interesting that people um, wanted to attach something to it. And I think a lot of people push back on that. But then something else happened yesterday when the news came out that one of the investors and I had a picture of this. I don't know where it went, um, but one of the investors of this movie, because it was a crowdfunded movie, was just arrested on kidnapping charges. Yeah. Yep. That's nuts. Now, when you hear that, does that make you think, oh, man, that makes this movie bad? Or do you think <laughs> Actually, something different? So, well, the thing that I thought of instantly was like, so all the people who have murdered people, who have stolen things, who have kidnapped people, a bunch of them are invested in the stock market. Does that, does that mean every company that they're invested in is now uh, associated with these people? Um, are all these companies now for murderers and things because they're uh, they have someone who bought into their company or bought stock or yeah. invested in them? That's a bad person. No, like if it's a crowdfunded thing with six thousand crowdfunders, which I think was roughly how many crowdfunders they had, they mm -hmm. don't go do a background check on everyone. At right. The end of the day. Exactly. Exactly. John says apparently he threw in a hundred dollars. Yeah. So the average, I don't know how much he threw in, but I, we did them. I did the math. The average of the amount they brought in and the amount of investors they had, the average investor gave $501. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, th there's also something to be said for the guilty conscience wanting to participate in something that they like, I want to make my family look good. Uh, ever, <laughs> ever in the case I end up in the news, uh, or, <laughs> I mean, and I don't. Do we know the details surrounding the case at all? Like, 
None, because for instance, yeah, like yeah. if you have a domestic dispute and a parent takes the child when they're not supposed, don't have custody, um, custody law says that you're not allowed to have the child that time, but they go to the divorce side of the family, they take their child and they drive off for a week. Uh, that is also considered kidnapping. So like mm-hmm. what sort of kidnapping are we talking about here? Yeah, so the indictment, there's nothing uh, available as of yet. Um, but Brook- Brooklyn Lou brings up an interesting question here that I think is a good one for us to talk about. He says, how did this movie become more of a Christian thing? All decent people are against child trafficking. No. And I agree. I, I think, Brooklyn Lou, here's my perspective. And these folks can can disagree with me. Uh, they do all the time. But... Um, <laughs> Here's what I think happened. So this movie was meant to come out a while ago, and it it was meant to come out five years ago, and studio after studio wanted to shut it down and not do it. And eventually, that's where Angel Studios came in after it was bought out by 20th Century Fox, I think, and then had plans to not even ever release it, and then they crowdfunded it. Why is it a, a Christian thing? Well, I think that when it started getting pushed to the margins that way, because of the message, it kind of links up a little bit with who Jin Caviezel is. So I think the main character being a very strong Catholic, a Roman Catholic, I think has a part to play in that. And so I don't know that it's a necessarily a Christian movie. There are a few lines in the movie that that give you a hint to the, the faith of Tim Ballard, mm-hmm. the main character, but it isn't overtly Christian in I- that sense. I think there's multiple factors that play into it. I mean, the one is marketing. Obviously, if you have Jim Caviezel, who's yep, a yep. outspoken, devout Catholic, who also played Jesus in one of the biggest Christian films in the world. And when you have mm-hmm. um, a Tim Ballard, who's a Mormon, who Mormons associate themselves at least with traditional Christianity. And then you have Angel Studios, which is a Christian production company, uh, I think funded primarily by the Mormon church as well. Um, and then you have, um, this being marketed out to a more conservative Christian base because of all the benefactors and the big players in the game, it's going to hit the Christian network pretty fast and pretty quick. Secondly, the conservative right leaning, uh, side of American politics, uh, makes is about 70% to 80% religious and that 70 to 80% is mostly Christian. Um, so, and when it comes to the political divide on this movie, a lot of right-leaning news networks were the ones pointing out the fact that a lot of left-leaning news networks were critical of the movie. Um, so that means a lot of Christians on the, on the right are hopping on the bandwagon, speaking up yep. and saying that this was a good movie and that they're defending it. Um, so like, I think there's a, I just think there's multiple factors that play into this, why it became more of a Christian thing um, sure. and how it was mainstreamed. Well, and, and yeah, you and after, the- oh, go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to say that uh, you mentioned the uh, the guy that threw in a hundred bucks earlier who was in support of the movie movie. But I've also heard stories on the other end where there were there were folks that were critical who then later it came out that they were um, uh, what what's the term? They were underage, uh, attractive, minor attracted, minor attracted people. Oh, mm-hmm. um, there was the only one, one guy, case I heard I, of for that. Are you talking? Are you talking about the guy in the Rolling Stone? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's the guy in the Rolling Stone. And then I heard also a guy in the Washington Post um, who identified himself as a minor attracted person, and uh, 
so I think there's there's that on both sides. As far as a guy throwing a support behind it, I don't know if you guys ever watch um, Patrick Bet David or listen to him and Valuetainment and stuff. I know uh, Arthur does a lot. Um, he had some FBI informants on like a month ago who specialized in uh, child videos. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, the FBI informant said that, or sorry, he's not an informant, he's an agent. The agent said that a lot of these guys, that is like their one vice. And then the rest of their life, they spend trying to make up for the fact that they are this monster. And so I think that could also be a reason why you find folks like this throwing their support behind it is because they feel so ashamed of who they secretly are that they're trying to be somebody else, you know, in in appearances to everybody else. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I I think that there's there's a lot of interesting that surround this movie. Also, the box office numbers that they brought in one hundred and sixty five million dollars as of right now. Uh, which puts them at the top 350 all time in the box office, which is kind of crazy for a movie. Now, I think that there's a few things it had to its advantage. I think the controversy actually helped it. And yeah. our next our next topic that we're going to talk about is the same thing. Controversy actually made this a topic where I don't think it was as big a topic as it was before. Um, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I, I think ultimately when we, when we talk about these things, I think that we can at least hopefully like Brooklyn Lou said, all agree that child trafficking is heinous and evil. And that's what seems so strange, especially when we hear things about Epstein Island and all these other real world things that have happened that kind of line up with what these statistics are bearing out. Um, uh, We don't mean to, I don't think the movie meant to create a panic in people, but more a reality of Hey, this still is, yeah, this is still happening. And I think awareness Mm -hmm. is important and awareness can matter. It's not just about, is that the pushback? Here's the last point I'll give and let you guys react to this. Some people are saying, why make a movie about this? It's not going to do anything. What do you think about that? (laughs) You could say that about anything, you know, why why would anybody do anything? (laughs) Just about to say that. I get, you know, some of the stuff I, some stuff I agree with is pointless. Like, you know, people wearing a certain color on a certain day or, you know, whatever. Sure. I think, I think some of these things, you know, and even the, what they're raising awareness for, I think is, is pointless in a lot of cases, but something this scale, I mean, it's going to affect so many people. So many people are going to get inspired to do something about it that I think it would, it's, a tremendous thing for it to come out. If, if, if somebody says that this isn't going to do anything, I think that's kind of a, that's kind of a silly take. I mean, raising awareness is normally for the purpose of motivating a mass amount of people to do their part. Um, that's generally the goal of raising awareness of a, some sort of problem or whatever. So, if you have uh, millions of people watching a movie and they're moved by the movie, um, then they might, then they are, then you'll get a handful of people, if not many people, to be moved to either donate to causes, to get their church involved, to do something, get active, and in that way, then you can start the ball, you can start the ball rolling. Actually, interestingly enough, I'm currently reading the book. Um, oh, what's it called? Oh man, Uncle Tom's Cabin. 
Um, and if you know anything about the history of Uncle Tom's Cabin, um, written in the 1800s, um, uh, it was an abolitionist book to help end slavery. It was a fiction book. It wasn't nonfiction. It was a fiction book. Um, that book helped start the catalyst, helped to get a movement started to end slavery in America. Um, and it was a fiction story all about just trying to portray a story of why slavery is wrong and evil. Um, so, like, anything in the fictional realm can motivate people to do good things in the real world. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, I agree. And and I think awareness can be an important thing um, because I think when you start shining a spotlight on something, usually that brings about a, not only just awareness, but action as a result. It usually follows. So let's hop into our next topic today. Uh, unless anyone else has a burning desire to add something more to the sound of freedom. Um, I think it's worthwhile to see, but I also um, would warn those with kids, man, it was hard to watch at times. Um, difficult. So let's hop into this next topic and oh, I got to get rid of Jim Caviezel's face. He doesn't belong here anymore, <laughs> though. I'd rather look at Jim Caviezel than Whoa. what we're about to look like. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to scare you there, Ryan. Uh, a, a drag queen topped the iTunes Christian music chart. Boys Will Be Girls is an ode to the LGBTQ plus people who have been rejected by their churches. Another headline comes out of this says uh, Christian drag queen Flamey Grant's number one album is the battle cry against terrible theology of religious bigots. I'm here in all of my draggy audacity to demand they reckon with reality. Flamey tells EW Entertainment Weekly after her Bible Belt baby topped the Christian charts in a feud with Sean Foyt got cut off there at the bottom. So here I'm going to read just a little bit. You guys interrupt me, pause me as we get going. Um, But just that last comment, though, the bad theology, um, where where is that coming from? Why? Why would that be the battle cry of Christians? What Christians are really saying this do you know any yeah no (laughs) like (laughs) it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week like and it's 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 crazy how how the the church is being infiltrated by wickedness you know Mm. and you know i don't know who made this guy the top you know what I'm saying? Go to the top of the the food chain on the on the Christian chart, um, but maybe he has a following um, of deconstruction people that's leaving the the the, the sound churches um, and joining like these progressive progressive ones. Um, and he had yeah. maybe he had a following, and, and they just followed his music. He might have been doing the same music he's doing now, but he's labeling it christian and however somehow he 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 made it to the top and that that's just is is sick honestly well i have an i have a theory of how this happened but let's look at the article because i think it'll help us understand but i think you're right daryl and i think uh bible dingers that was nick was right as well progressive christians progressive churches are doing this and if you know the name Derek webb um you know that this has to do with progressive Christianity, but I want us to have a larger conversation than just 
this. I want us to be thinking about as we read this, and you can be thinking about this too as you're listening and, and contribute in the comments, is why does this matter for us as Christians? Why why speak out against this? Why push back? What is actually wrong here that we're having this conversation? Because I think it's one thing to just say, man, this is this is weird. This is wrong. This shouldn't be. But we, I think we have to verbalize that in, in a helpful way. So here's what the article says. For those of you who don't know, these guys have seen the article. You haven't. We'll walk through some of it together. A drag queen currently has an album at the top of the iTunes Christian chart, and her witty clapback to a homophobic pastor rocketed her there. In June, drag performer Flamey Grant appeared in the music video for Christian musician Derek Webb's song, Boys Will Be Girls, an ode to queer Christians who have been shut out of their churches. Over the course of the video, Grant gives Webb a drag makeover complete with a stunning blue wig, and the, du- the duo sing the final lines together inside a church worship space. I heard Jesus loved and spent his life with those who were abandoned by proud and fearful men. So if a church won't celebrate and love you, they're believing lies that can't save you or them because they're so beautiful by any because you're so beautiful by any name. This this that that I when I read I read this article, you know, and I read that line from the song and I had to laugh a bit because the first story that came to my mind was the story of the adulterous woman. Uh, where the Pharisees, you know, present this woman before Jesus and are like, we caught this woman committing adultery, you know, you know, we're supposed to stone her. And, you know, Jesus, I think that's the one where he's riding the sand, you know, and um, he's like, you know, whoever hasn't sinned, cast the first stone. Um, and, you know, all the Pharisees basically walk away one by one with their, you know, tails tucked between their legs because they've all are have sinned. And the reason why they did this whole, uh, the whole thing in the first place wasn't for actual justice. It was um, to mm. make Jesus look like a fool and to, you know, get away with their own evil. Um, but afterward, you know, this if it's story ended there, everyone would be like, don't judge. That's the moral of the story. But afterward, the woman, uh, the Jesus, tell, like Jesus basically talks to the woman and he tells her, go and sin no more at the very end of the conversation. After they have this dialogue, he shows her mercy. Um, she's able to go free, but he does tell her, go and sin no more implying that she did actually sin implying that she did something wrong against god yes he actively spent time with sinners yes he actively spent time with outcasts yes he actually spent time with people that the prideful religious people were uh ignoring or trying to stay away from but he never was approving of their lifestyle he never said this is a good thing he never said let's uh, rejoice in these people's lifestyle he was still saying that you're sinning and you need to stop doing this, but he was mm-hmm. actively engaging with them and showing them mercy while doing it. Mm. That's good. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that that the whole Jesus spent time with sinners, you're right. Uh, that one episode blows it up or every time he meets with someone, look at Zacchaeus, look at the rich young ruler, look at every interaction Jesus has with someone. Look at even the, the good people he met with. He told Nicodemus he had to be born again. Like mm-hmm. Jesus never meets a single human being and goes, you're good just the way you are. <laughs> like he, requ- <laughs> like there isn't a single moment where Jesus does that. Even when he comes to Peter in, in Peter's obvious failing. Yes. Jesus meets him with grace and love, mm-hmm. but he doesn't sure. sacrifice the truth. Amen. 
Yeah, and uh, Jeremy, you asked why it's so important. And I think one reason why it's so important is because this message is really becoming the domineering message of our culture and our country. Uh, yeah. There was a study or it was a research poll that was put out from here, my home state in New Jersey, that said that high school students identifying as non-binary has shot up by 4,000% in the past mm. five years. I think uh, five years ago, they accounted for 16. Yeah. And now there's like, I don't know, 7,000 something in the, in the New Jersey school system that, that call themselves non-binary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's a trend. And not only is it a trend, it's a trend that comes with a sort of almost religious community attached to it. And, uh, you know, I've spoken to folks that came out of this community. Uh, I've read lots of popular books from folks who have come out of this community. And that is um, one thing that is so hard to break through when you're when you're trying to share the gospel with these folks is that they feel like this is their family. This is the people who yeah. accept them and understand them and love them for who they are. The problem with that is that their view and definition of love is so skewed. They don't truly understand what love is. It's not just saying, oh, okay, yeah, you're this way. Sure, you can be that way for the rest of your life. I don't care. You be you. No, love is love is when you really want what's actually best for someone, when you're actually looking out mm -hmm. for the for for their interests. Um, and so I think that's why it's so important just to point out the the falsity of this. And, and mm -hmm. in the very beginning of the article, I found something so outrageously ironic about how Flamey Grant said that, you know, the religious bigots need to face reality. All while defending a song titled Boys Will Be Girls, as if that in some universe is a reality <laughs> at exactly. all. That will never be reality. Boys will never be girls. Boys will That's always right. be boys. They will die. And, and as Matt Walsh, whether you're a fan of him or not, <laughs> as he famously said, when the archaeologists dig you up 300 years later, the only thing they'll know about you is your gender because it's mm -hmm. so deep inside of you. It's in your bones. And so right. what, what is actual reality is being flipped as if that's what's crazy. And what flamey grant is saying is reality. And so if we're just like, yeah, sure. It, it could totally be true. It could totally be, it could totally be reality then everyone's just going to go along with the flow because it's obviously trendy and people are doing it. And the thing about like, I going on to a point you mentioned earlier about uh, people who leave the community, like it's like a family and stuff. A lot of times people who are, you know, conservative Christians uh, and, you know, like, uh, you know, traditional Christians or even maybe just politically conservative, let's just say go that way as well. The thing is, often they approach this issue from a really try to they try to like do it intellectually till they're like blue in the face. So like as you mentioned, Daily Wire host will go till they're blue in the face, pointing out all of the intellectual inconsistencies with transgenderism or uh, with uh, non-binary stuff or uh, or with postmodernism as a general whole or progressivism as a general whole. But a lot of people aren't involved in these movements because they think it makes intellectual sense. They're involved in it because of the emotional 
and mm -hmm. social appeal it holds. I mean, I don't think a lot of people like legitimately necessarily intellectually assent to the fact that like, oh, you know, a guy is a girl, but this, there, there's this thought process that goes, well, I can feel, I can think to myself, I'm a guy. I can express myself like I'm a guy, even if I'm a girl. I can express myself like I'm a guy. I can dress like other guys dress. I can talk like other guys talk. If I can imitate something and I can believe it, why does it matter what's actually reality? Why does it matter what's actually true when I can act like something else? And again, boils down to emotionalism and then boils down to this community of even if so, why not? Why, why does it matter? And it doesn't become an intellectual argument at that point. It becomes an emotional argument. It becomes um, a argument of desire. Sure. Um, mm. And that requires a different approach than just intellectually turning it down. Pointing out why it's intellectually false will, is a first step, but you need to go beyond that. You need to go beyond sure. intellectual. You need to start building relationships. You need to start showing why this isn't actually emotionally good for you. Why this isn't actually good for you socially. Why isn't it good for you spiritually? You need to go deeper than just some sort of intellectual base level. Yeah, and I think you're right on. Um, I think that the intellectual can be addressed, but it's it's not. It cannot stay there. Uh, I recently on my uh, channel just did a recap of Frank Turek and Sean McDowell had a conversation talking about the five fatal flaws of the transgender ideology. Not from even a biblical worldview or, or standpoint, just talking about it from an intellectual philosophical standpoint. And what you just said, LT, I think nails hits the nail on the head in the sense that, yeah, you can explain all of that stuff really well. But at the end of the day, it's an emotional desire that is uh, regardless of reality. And so for why, again, to, I don't want to cut you off. I have one more thought and then I'll let you go is. Also, I think another to add on to what you said, Ryan, why does this matter? Because it goes against the design of God. Some people are going to push back and say, well, we're just talking about drag queens here. It's like, no, we're not in, in this. Yeah, we're talking about the image of God, how God has created us to be. And in this whole situation, why is this album at number one? It's not Christians that did this. Mm -hmm. It's non-Christians who want to make it and put it in the face of Christians. So I don't think this has anything to do with Christian music. We could have a whole conversation about the Christian you music industry that I don't even think is Christian um, yeah. at times. But I don't think this is that. What this is, is Sean Fight, who I also don't agree with on a many other issues, um, <laughs> tried tried to go at this and it blew up in the sense of it got a lot of uh, awareness for a group that I don't think if he, he, we need to go about it in that way. So ultimately this matters because of what Ryan said, this matters because of what LT said, Daryl, what do you have to say, brother? Yeah, no, you, 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 you took the words out of my mouth, bro. It's, um, I like what LT said. You, you're speaking, you're not just speaking to the intellect, you're speaking to the whole person. Um, because it's the, it's the emotions. These people accept me. These people truly love me. And then it goes back to what Ryan said. That's not what true love is. True love will call you out on the stank. You know what I'm saying? Um, but then you, you, you stole the words, bro. It, you, we're talking about the image of God, how God made us. And going back to what Ryan says, it's in art. It's, it's in us. Like what he said about the, the, the skeleton analogy, analogy, like three, 300 years from now, they're going to know. 
I'm a man. <laughs> they're going to know my wife was a woman. You know what I mean? Like they're going to know based on how God made us. And it goes back to the beginning, the Imago Dei. You know, we are made in the image of God. Every um, human is. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's there. It's just unbelievers jacking up the image of God. And, um, and, and they're calling, um, I, I believe the Bible says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You know, mm-hmm. and that, you know that article is literally stating that, like, it's the complete opposite of the Imago Day, and they're calling that good, and they're calling mm-hmm. those that believe in the reality, the true reality, they're calling us bigots. So, yeah. mm-hmm. and what's actually. Um... The two points I wanted to make. One is that not only are we talking about the fact that this is being driven by desire and emotionalism, it's being driven by sexual desire, which is the strongest of all desires, Um, especially a lot of men would acknowledge that as well. Like when it comes to sexual desire, people are willing to compromise a lot in their life to fulfill it um, in whatever way that means, even if it doesn't necessarily align with what's best for them or what makes sense, they're willing to make compromises. to that effect, basically. Um, and the the other side of it is that the whole thing about the sexual revolution, about transgenderism and stuff, um, is that the other thing I think why it matters is because it brings you to individualism. And America is a very individualistic society. And that can be yeah. a good thing in some ways, but a really bad thing in other ways. And this, and the transgender movement in general is hyper-focused on individualism. However, I feel I should express myself and you should have no say in that. How I feel, I should be able to express myself and I should be able to um, go out to society and do whatever I want to do and express myself however I want to express myself and impact society and make all society change on how I want to express myself. Um, And it becomes very hyper individualistic to the point where you no longer consider um, how it may actually be better, uh, what might be best for society, what may be best for the world. Uh, because even if you look at it from maybe a more, you know, practical standpoint, be like, well, actually, practically speaking, um, you know, you, it takes a male and female to have a child. Practically speaking, castrating yourself and taking a bunch of drugs to sterilize yourself isn't actually good for survival. Um, actually, it's not very healthy for you to start pumping yourself full of chemicals and hormones that actually don't belong to your type of body. Um, and you start going down this route. It's actually not practically healthy. It's not practically good for you or for society mm. as a long in the long run. But if you're hyper individualistic and all you think about is your desire, something especially sexual desire, all that goes out the window and you start pursuing it. And so I think it matters because we need to, as Christians, we shouldn't have hyper individualism. We should first be what is best? What does God want for us? What is best in accordance with God's word and standard? And then secondly, not what's best for me after that. What's uh, best for the people around me? What's best for my community? What's best for my friends and family? And then it goes to you start evaluating yourself. Um, so, like, we're just kind of backwards when it comes to our priorities um, and how we approach things in society. If we had a sound effect, it would be a, like just a bomb drop. Yeah, yes, that's sir. A, that's a minute. Well, and, and what you've just said, LT, is what Jesus says. Love God love your neighbor like mm-hmm. not love yourself first and mm-hmm. and that's what that's what this message is and and whenever i hear people 
portray a love you, love yourself first gospel. Um, this is where it ends up. This is where a love yourself gospel ends up, where it is gratifying any desire and there's no filter to desire. And anyone who filters your desire is evil. And that's how this article ends. I want to, I want to flip back to the article here, the very end. Um, cause I think it, it points out really the heart of folks in an Instagram post celebrating the news. Grant gave a shout out to everyone who helped her achieve her goal. Again, referencing someone dressing in clothes may not even identify that way. It's, we, how do we even, anyway, ah, a community of people who wholeheartedly and full throatedly reject the notion that Christian faith has to look like fearful, petty, weak evangelicalism that demonizes so many people and dominates too much of the life in the U.S. F that, Grant added. You belong here. If here's where you want to be, I love you. Okay, wait. So let me let me get this straight. So they're going to make a song that quote unquote is Christian and goes into the Christian top number one hit. They're going to present themselves as a Christian, but then also simultaneously make a statement about basically Christian faith has too much dominance in the U.S. and shouldn't be as prevalent in politics. Is that oh, no, no. really is that just a statement? Just a, a weak evangelicalism. They want a different brand of Christianity. That's what mm-hmm. it is. So I think you're right. It is kind of ridiculous that you don't want Christians to dominate. They want their version of Christianity that lets everyone do whatever they want. And there is no judgment ever on anything. At least that's how I read that. Man, I, 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 I fully, um, it, 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 it literally goes back to like, just, just to 10 commandments. Like we, there's so many commandments that have been broken specifically just it within that article and whomever was talking about this, like, like they're, they're trying to make a God that will best suit their, they're, they're making an idol. They're making a false little G God, um, to, to fit their, like Elsie said, fit their sexual desire. Um, and that, that false God does not, it does not work. So like Elsie was talking about, um, the, if everybody lived as individualistic as they want to live, this will be in, in more chaos than it already is. Mm. You know, shout out I, to you. I, 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 I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I'd also like to push back a little bit on, you know, the statement of evangelical Christianity somehow being this demonizing, dominating group in American culture. You know, like, first of all, evangelical movies and music and stuff is terrible. So that's first off. We're not influencing anything. Okay, number two, um, the, the group that dominates the culture is the progressive group. And I'm not, I'm not talking about Christians. I'm talking about non-Christian, progressive, liberal mm-hmm. type of folks. And I think the litmus test here is uh who you are allowed to speak out against are you allowed to speak out against christians sure go ahead that's no problem and i don't mm-hmm. i'm a christian i don't care speak out against christians mm-hmm. but are you allowed to speak out against transgender folks well now you're gonna lose mm-hmm. your job or right. now 
you are going to get denied health care, which we can talk about, you know, the nuances. That's not a good segue, bro. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, but you will like a... you will lose your job if you speak out against LGBT folks or whatever. If you mm. speak out against Christians, mm-hmm. then you're part of the cool crowd at work. I mean, yeah, as you said, so part true. of that litmus test, too, is just looking at what gets the most views, makes the most money, all that. Hollywood is littered with progressive movies. Disney is full of progressive content. Um, And you have the top music artists, you know, you think of any pop artists, they're all progressive. And yet there's this, this funny mentality that everything's rigged against those people like then we're supposed to buy the buy the lie that actually well america is being dominated by the right-wing evangelical trump supporting when in reality the all the people in control of entertainment are all progressives so like Mm -hmm. it's just kind of a funny dynamic and as soon as a quote-unquote conservative right-leaning movie gets made it's called a QAnon conspiracy theory yep. and said to be. Yeah, right. So but I think this this is an interesting uh, comment here by Leslie, because I didn't go into the comments section on articles. Maybe I should more often. She said, I read a Medium article on or about this. And most of the people in the comments were defending this. This is sad. And, I, and so it gets to our point. I think the majority culture has already agreed. And so it's it's not hard to to go with the flow in that regard. And so that's why it's important to talk about. And this next topic that Ryan had already alluded to and this idea of depending upon who gets to say what now we're going to I think we should read the I'm going to read this article so you get the context of what we're talking about, because if you go just based off of what's being said here, you're probably going to already draw an opinion. Um, the title of the article says breast cancer patient dropped by Oregon clinic after a complaint about transgenderism banner hanging like a Nazi flag. So much in that headline. Uh, Can they please write our titles for us? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, they misspelled Oregon. I want to point that out. Oh, did they? I was really confused (laughs) about that. I saw that. I'm like, (laughs) Oregon. 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 Okay. Oh, it froze. Oh, there we go. Okay. Here we go. Before you get it all queasy of me scrolling up and down. An Oregon, they spelled it right there. An Oregon woman battling breast cancer says she was dropped by her primary care doctor because of her response to the display of a transgender pride flag in the doctor's office. Marlene Barbera, who was scheduled to have a mastectomy later this month, was informed by Oregon Health Science University that she was dropped from the clinic due to alleged comments she made about the office's LGBT employees and staff, according to a Give, Send, Go campaign. Barbara shared a letter she sent to the clinic with a conservative social channel Libs of TikTok, which she raised concerns about the enormous transgenderism banner hanging like a Nazi flag behind the receptionist desk at OHSU's Richmond Family Clinic. Let's click on this because I like clicking on links. It takes us to Twitter. That's always dangerous. You never know. Um, it's actually X. Call it by its right name. No, it, I still see a little tweeter. Well, I'll bring it down. It still has a little tweet right there. That's a, it's a Twitter. It's a Twitter. Um, here, here's the letter that she sent 
Um, and it just basically says, I would like to speak to, with you directly as I no longer trust that my com communications are filtered in good faith by OHU staff. Additionally, I do not feel that's not the whole thing. Where is the whole thing? Uh, do I have to go this way? Oh, there is it this is. Being sent to? Uh, the, well, here's this was the letter that here. I'll, I'll go back so you can see what it said. Um, back, back, back. Barbara shared the letter that the clinic shared with her with libs of TikTok. So there's a letter that she sent and this is Barbara commenting back and forth with libs of TikTok. Here's the letter that was sent to her. This letter is to inform you effective immediately. You're discharged from receiving any medical care at the Richmond family clinic. This action is being taken because of uh, remarks about our LGBTQ community and staff, the provider and staff at Richmond clinic will continue to provide for your urgent health care needs until 729. So if you need something after this date, even if you're dying, we will not help you. Even if it's urgent, <laughs> we're not going to help you. Please note that you also are now dismissed from all OHSU family medicine clinics, including immediate care. Now, the interesting thing that I would say here is, um, what if this is the only provider in her area? I see. That's the thing. I was like, when I saw that, I'm like, I can see kind of how you as a doctor's office or ER or whatever can get away with like, oh, we won't treat you for like, you know, non-essentials. But once they like exclude her from immediate concerning medical danger, I'm like, all right, that's um, think at best unethical, if not illegal. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so Absolutely. I, I was I was very confused when they were trying to say they could deny her to you know emerge an emergency care. I mean, uh, I'll be honest. The first time I read this article, the thing that I still can't get over is the the reference to the Nazi flag. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think I everything we've said about how transgenderism and the ideology goes against scripture. Absolutely agree. And I, I would disagree with the portrayal or the hanging or of a flag or whatever else, but I don't think that using the language that she used is the best way to go about it. Even if that's what you feel, even if, because I don't think it actually may, I mean, it gets us talking about did, it. Did, did she I'm, I'm still a little bit confused so she the clinic rejected her because of comments she made did she make comments in the building to people or did she write a letter to the clinic or what exactly took place that she got banned in the first place so it's saying here that you immediately receiving this action because of ongoing disrespectful and hurtful remarks about our lgbt community and stuff so they're not willing to even say what it was but the article is saying that it was because she said it was hanging. If we keep reading, you'll see what it says. Um, it says, pointing the threats she says she received on social media from trans activists, Barbara said she found it daunting to go for medical treatment with that banner proclaiming that what I am, an adult human female, is a mere option, opt-in category for any non gender non-conforming male, not reality. This negates women completely, and they are not they are not asking. In response to her complaint, Barbara shared another letter dated June 29th on her Twitter page under the handle blah, blah, bather. Um, I hate trying to read handles names um, in which she was informed she was being dropped from services for ongoing disrespectful remarks, which we already saw uh, and says, OK, I was going to try and get over this, but I'm 
a liver transplant recipient with breast cancer facing double mastectomy at the end of August. And now I have no primary care doctor. A lawyer contacted me. I hesitated. No, no more. Would any lawyer out there help me? Very scared. Multiple attempts by the Christian Post to contact Barbara were unsuccessful. So not only is is this um, saying no more urgent care, but she was slated for a surgery at the end of August that they will no longer do. So while OHSU spokesperson Sarah Hotman declined a request for comment from the Christian Post due to privacy laws, she pointed out that OHSU's patient rights and responsibilities, which states OHSU patients, families, and visitors have a responsibility to refrain from using discriminatory, profane, or derogatory or threatening language, imagery, or behavior, and understand that these behaviors can result in limitation of visiting privileges and impact access care to OHSU. I'll pause so, there. I I think, okay, I think to a certain extent, I can agree with a policy like that to a certain extent, but to another extent, I can't fully. Like, so I agree that if you, a patient, let's just say, is constantly harassing employees, constantly um, yes. causing a fuss, uh, that a healthcare provider can be like, we will not allow you to come here for regular checkups or whatever, because you're just going to cause more issues than, you know. Yep. So like, I feel like they have the right to deny someone that, but you have a moral impetus, no matter if the person is an absolute dirtbag or whatever, to still help them in emergency situations. If someone's dying from cancer, if someone got hit by a bullet, I don't know what the situation is, but if they are some sort of severe situation, as a healthcare provider, it doesn't matter what they think or what, who they are. You need to help save their lives. Um, so I don't think you can get, get, away, get away with this bull crap of, oh, well, if you, in, you insulted us. You, you said that mean thing, so therefore we won't save your life if you need it. Um, I think that's bull crap. I think that you don't get away with that. Yeah, uh, I, I also think, think – go ahead, Daryl. No, no, I'm just, I'm just saying I, I agree. Like if, if it's if – it's, threatening actions and all that stuff yes the provider has has that right uh, but if it's like a dire need situation like ethically you know as a doctor i'm sure you took an oath and you wrote it you know swore by an oath to take to take care of your fellow human being um i think you should absolutely take take care of them if it's for something like like and obviously this whole article is not going into deep detail of actually what happened, but like, if she like literally made a few comments and that's it. And there is backlash like this, that's banana cakes. Like, no, <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. Seriously. Can you please explain to me what banana cakes are? I'm just curious. It's, it's just crazy. It's, it's food. It's crazy. <laughs> I think also, I, I highly doubt uh, that they're actually consistent with what they said was their reasoning. They mentioned any sort of threatening language, any sort of profanity, any sort of discrimin discriminatory imagery they put. I, I very highly doubt if somebody is using profanity in a hospital, that they're going to say you can no longer come here for cancer <laughs> care. I think uh, to the lady's point, and I think that she is a little bit crazy if she did call people, you know, Nazis to their face. 
Um, <laughs> to her point, I think that uh, she feels as if it's similar to Nazi Germany because this is this does seem like some sort of protected class, and if you say anything against them, they they can deny your care. And while that may be true in some respect, like I said earlier, you, you can't say that out loud, especially if they're they're caring for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. Even though I don't agree with the politics of the healthcare provider uh, or their views necessarily on gender, uh, I don't think this lady was necessarily the most wise person in the world sure. or the best person in the world. Like, I don't think you go into a healthcare provider, you see the transgender flag, and your first thing is go up to that secretary at the front desk and be like, you know, you're a Nazi. Um, I don't think that's the way you approach the situation. You just go in there um, and you're just like, all right, I need this to be taken care of. And you just go, you just, you just deal with it. Like, if they're not trying to shove a gender thing down your throat, then you don't, there's no need to just, you know, just get the healthcare you need at that moment. Um, there's an, there's times and place, there's a time and place for everything as uh, I think it's Ecclesiastes that says that. So, so here's, here's a question. Is it conflict of interest for a surgery center to hang a transgender banner? Because what they're basically saying is we'll do your surgeries for you. This is a place where we want to do surgeries and it's almost like them trying to get patient. Like, I, mm. I like they're trying to be like, this is a place to come to get to to get your stuff cut off. See, and... see I didn't I didn't think about it that way. Like, I didn't think of it as an advertising scheme, but that would that's an interesting perspective. Like, I, I think uh, from a freedom of speech perspective, they have a right to hang that flag sure. there. It's like it's their freedom of speech. They have the right to do that. Whatever. So it sounded like it was um, a fund. It was sound like it was a fundraiser um, and part mm -hmm. of a campaign of some kind. And so my, my question to the Oregon uh, clinic would be, uh, would you be willing to support a, a Christian campaign and hang a Christian banner um, that would maybe support uh, orphanages or children um, around the world who are served by any number of Christian organization? Would, would you, Oregon clinic, be willing, if you're watching here, um, be willing to run that campaign next? And, and maybe we can hop, hop on with John Clash and build another school um, down in the Dominican. How about that? Um, but I have a feeling they're not going to go for that. Yeah. <laughs> which which they don't I, have I to. I highly doubt it. Well, and, and, and so Moonlit Outlaw said this, and I thought, again, this is some of what we've been talking about. I'm curious just how discriminatory her comments were. Exactly. Um and unfortunately, it's a he said, she said, um, we're not going to necessarily know the exact things, but I will say this is the headline from the Christian post that I showed before. So the Christian post is saying that she called it uh, a Nazi flag. I'm not quite sure in the article where they got that from. It wasn't yeah. clear, but I, I think we all agree that that isn't the right way to go about it. However, it also seems like it could have been a situation where, hey, you get a warning. This is your last warning. You've been like, did she get any kind of warning, any kind mm -hmm. of any kind of anything before they said, oh, you have a month until your surgery that's going to stop your cancer? No, we're not going to do it. And the one problem with these sort of policies, let's, if you move away even from the healthcare side of things, like just these um, speech policies in general, whether it be on YouTube, whether it be in healthcare, whether it be in politics, whatever, wherever the scenario, whatever the situation, 
a lot of times the biggest issue that arises is there's almost like a vagueness to it all. Mm. Uh, there's almost yeah. like this sort of vague standard like, oh, well, you don't really know when you cross the line, but you kind of know when you get near that line. And, you know, this kind of this weird vagueness to the whole thing, um, which I think is partially by design because then any sort of organization can um, slam, you know, you know, slam down on you um, based on their choosing, based on what they like at the time. Um, and they can also back off and not get in trouble when the heat rises and be like, well, actually, we didn't really have any policy in place. You know, there's sort of a mistake going on. So, like, that's the most frustrating part about these sort of speech regulations is that they're almost always so vague. And it seems like that's on purpose half the time. Well, it'd definitely be interesting um, to see what comes of this, to, to see if she does get a lawyer, if she is able to get a healthcare provider. Um, cause things don't usually move that fast to even just get a doctor's appointment, let alone schedule a double mastectomy, uh, as she needs. So, uh, interesting. Any, any final thoughts on this topic as, as we start to draw to an end here, any questions from you guys in the chat? We'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts? Um, did you hear anything about these things? One thing I just wanted to, to jump in and say is, uh, you know, we, we've been kind of talking about it a little bit here and there, and it's about loving uh, this group of people. And, you know, we mentioned how somebody mentioned how truth overrides emotion and how hmm. it is uh, an emotional decision that a lot of these folks make. Um, and like I said earlier, I think that a lot of folks have this skewed definition and idea of love. And I think that if you you love these people, you will tell them about how going down this path, uh, you are so much more likely to live an unfulfilling life full of depression and loneliness. And uh, you will hate yourself because you are choosing a life of sin rather than placing uh, your faith in Christ. And so it's it's true with not only this group, but but everyone, but specifically this group, I would say, because they feel as if they understand love and it's just this sort of acceptance and things like that. And and what and they I, don't understand is is really the long term consequences of this this short term. I want to do what I want to do now. And mm -hmm. you have you have no right to say anything to me. Well, I love you. And that's why I'm trying to tell you that you are headed down a path that's going to cause you to land in depression and with with no sort of purpose for your life. And I think it's also important for us as Christians and churches um, across the country, across the world, um, to also not be afraid to actively make relationships and friendships and stuff with these people, with these groups of people. Like, I mean... Uh, going to college, going to high school, public high school and stuff. Um, I've made friends and talked to and interacted with a lot of people from the LGBT community. Um, and I remember very specifically in high school, there was a guy that knew my stance on the situation. He was, he, he was bisexual. Um, and he knew my stance on the situation. We understood each other, but we still got along. We're able to talk and have conversations mm -hmm. even outside of that topic specifically. Um, so like, on our own personal parts, it's there's an impetus on us to actively still 
be involved in these people's lives, still actively make friendships, still actively, you know, do these things. It, you can, you have to have these conversations. You have to have these topics. It will come up in politics because it's a political issue as well. Um, but we also have to be the hands and feet of the church and actively continually build relationships. Um, and so I think, I think that goes into the whole emotional side of it, the whole relational side of it. You have to show them there's a community outside of the LGBT community. That's also loving and kind. And that the reason why we believe it's sinful is not because we hate them or because, you know, we want the worst for them. It's actually because we believe that what they're doing isn't great. We believe that there is something better. Life has better to offer. Um, we believe their identity um, can be more than just their sexuality or what they desire at the current moment. Um, and so it has to be this continual act of love um, that is the true type of love. It's a self-sacrificial love. It's a love rooted in truth um, that actually goes out of way to show the show the gospel. Amen. And well, yeah, and I would encourage anyone and everyone um, to not be afraid of engaging, uh, and, and don't, don't let the fear of rejection or the fear of being called names, uh, be the thing that stops you from engaging. I think actually more real people are way more accepting and honest and welcoming than, uh, the Twitter wars and everything else we see. And that's people been my are a lot more sensible. People are a lot more sensible in person than they are online. Um, because again, like, I mean, I do comparative religion, so I go to places that disagree with me all the time. Um, and a lot of the, some of the religious places I've gone to are pretty liberal compared to even what I am on the conservative end. And we have conversations about these topics off camera and stuff like that. Um, and people are much more reasonable, much more sensible, much more willing to have conversations in person. As long as you're obviously, if you call them a Nazi, it might not go well for you. That might not be a great way to approach a conversation. Um, but if you if you approach it with respect and stuff, you can have good, meaningful conversations and still disagree um, in person normally. Again, online, you're going to run to different issues. And of course, you'll run to people who even in person are the way they are. Well, and, and I think to bring it full circle, um, we this is the Why Jesus podcast after all. Uh, I think that looking to Christ and how Christ interacted and engaged and walked with and loved and served, but still held to the truth. I think we have to be people that do that. And you're not going to be able to be a person that does that. If you're not plugged into a local church, if you're not reading the word of God on your own, if you're not spending time in prayer, if you're not doing these things, then of course you're going to come across these types of things and probably act out of a reaction instead of a, 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 a thoughtful way of engaging because let's be honest, we have to spend a lot more time thinking about how we're going to respond to these things today than we needed to for a long, long time. And Christians, a lot of times have not been responding well. That doesn't mean we have to agree, but I think we have to respond well. I've shared this before. I've, I work in youth ministry and I, I talk with so, so many young people who are going through transitions in life, not necessarily just gender type stuff. And you would be blown away by how many just want someone to talk to who's not going to immediately just shut them down. They don't even necessarily know what they believe yet. They're still trying to figure that out. I think so many people are just that way. They aren't really as firm in what they say they believe. They just haven't ever engaged with a Christian who might doing it in a loving Mm -hmm. and truthful and kind way. And, and as you actually mentioned earlier in regards to this topic very specifically, 
a lot of people who are in this movement are young. They're mm-hmm. under 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them are in high school. Like I know of um, a school that has furries right now and they have a furry issue. Like I, that's one movement I don't fully understand. Uh, but <laughs> like, but they have furries at their high school and these are kids. They're, they're 15 year olds or 14 year olds. They're 16 year olds. They, teenagers and kids in general act on impulse. They act on um, cultural acceptance. They act on social acceptance. Uh, they act on what feels good in the moment. They don't really think things through that logically. Um, they're impulsive. Yeah. These are a lot of them are kids. A lot of them are just kids, and they're getting sucked into the movement because of pop culture. Because of it's cool. And so I think that's something else to keep in mind continually too is that when we talk about this issue, we're not talking about necessarily a bunch of logical older adults who are doing these things. We're talking a lot about just children in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and who have been sold part of the lie that um, to disagree with this is hateful, right? And mm-hmm. and, and that and that gets thrown out mm-hmm. in every single thing. And so I think that uh, we we have there are Christians who disagree in a hateful manner, and uh, we have to strive not to be that. Brooklyn Lou throws in a question. We love questions. Throw us some questions, guys. Do you think God is concerned about the Christian music business? Oh, I love that question. What priority do you think he places on what bands sells records? Interesting. What do you guys think? I think that God is concerned about people and people that call themselves Christians. Um, I don't think he places any priority whatsoever on what bands sells like what their sales are as but far Ryan, as you know but what, ryan doesn't it mean that i got to the top of the charts i must be blessed by god <laughs> no yeah god doesn't look uh at the charts alone <laughs> he looks inward to your heart i would say but yeah i think i think god cares about the musicians um and I, I guess the folks being influenced by the music uh sales i don't know maybe maybe if we're talking about the greed in somebody's heart or something like that but yeah i don't i don't think there's any sort of uh priority that somebody who sells a lot of albums gets over uh, your average christian god is quite clearly throughout scripture concerned about how christians behave and portray his name um so obviously the one of the first commandments in the ten commandments is do not take your lord's name in vain do not call yourself a Christian. Do not call yourself well, in that time a Jew, but don't call yourself a Christian um, and then go and live a very sinful, reckless lifestyle or sing music and sell records that are completely uh, defaming God and what he stands for. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't um, live as a hypocrite. Don't be like the hypocrites do. And, you know, try to try to sell God as if he's just this sort of, you know, whatever. Like you don't God is inter- interested in how he is portrayed by people who claim his name by people who call themselves christians so if the so in that sense he is very concerned about the christian music industry because when people hear christian music what they think is oh this music portrays what christians believe um and what christians believe is what you know they think of god and what they think of life um so in that sense god is very concerned with the christian music industry but as ryan said in regard to sales and stuff that's much less important um, than the actual messages and the people behind those messages are portraying. 
Well, and I would go so far as to say God is very concerned in Scripture about how He is to be worshipped. Yes, about how I, I uh, about how Christians are to worship. Um, and I know Matt Matt's chiming in here. I'm going to throw this back up. This is salvation. Uh, even when we said we're going to talk about some of this stuff, and so I'm glad you went there, Luke. Because I think this is a good conversation. I think that God definitely has his concern with the Christian music industry. It's all about recognition when it should be all about Christ. Even if we, even when, well, if we even get 0.00001% of the glory, we have failed. I would even go so far as to say, uh, I, I think the industry as a whole, God doesn't uh, care about the industry, but he cares about the people. Ryan made that clear. I think that that's mm-hmm. a really good point. Uh, I do think that the Christian music industry influences the worship of churches. And I think that when we're talking about the Christian music world, if you don't think that the Christian music world isn't influenced or churches aren't influenced by it, just look at what churches are singing. What it's almost always the song that are at the top of the charts, partly because they're popular, partly because that's what people like. Is it, though, what God desires? That's a tough question. And I know, and this is where I struggle as a pastor, having these conversations about what is and isn't worship. I think there's a very different question about uh, music I listen to versus songs that I worship God to. And so personally, I might be able to listen to some music that I wouldn't play corporately or sing corporately as a church. And I even would go so far as to say I think God is pretty explicit what we should and shouldn't do in worship to him. And so whether or not the Christian music industry is the uh, CCM music or the worship music or wherever you are, I think that when it bumps into the worship of God, that's where it gets into, okay, God actually has uh, set boundary lines that are being crossed here as what we should and shouldn't do. And they're making... Um, let's just go back to the thing we talked about. Flamey Grant is making her gender ideology or his gender ideology an idol before God, because he's making that the more important thing than the actual words of worship, because it's all about look at me, not look at God. Kind of like what, um, Matt has said. Other, th- oh, we got more comments. Let's look at these. Mm-hmm. Jesus, it, yeah, this more. is a good one. Yeah. God's concern, I was going off of my soapbox, sorry, and that's when all the people started leaving. Um, God's concern would be if the Christian music lyrics are false. If they're saying things that aren't biblical, then they are violating the third commandment using his name in vain. Kind of what you said, LT, right on that. Brooklyn comes back again and says, I asked this question because it is a sincere one. I do not get how a good God would be all into music and who is popular. These music groups are obviously businesses, not ministry to me. And Lou, I think that's a really, that last sentence, these music groups are obviously businesses and not ministry. And I think that you're right in some cases that when it becomes all about the business and a lot of the CCM music industry is, oftentimes those are the folks that start to lose biblical grounding um, even think to what Shane and Shane are doing right now, which kind of bugs me. It's a whole nother conversation. Go Daryl. No, it kind of goes back to what Matt said. Um, when it becomes all about them and less about God's uh, glory. Um, LT kind of took the words out of my mouth. Like God is more concerned about his glory and his name above, above all and how his people represent him to the world. Um, 
goes back to is God being glorified, is Christ being magnified as Lord and as King, um, because God is more concerned about his glory and his name um, and how his people represent him uh, throughout the world. So yeah, Brooklyn went right with what Matt said uh, in his previous yeah. post yeah. about it being more about um, the glory of God rather than the glory of man. Um, and when, you know, and, but then if you're playing the devil's advocate, it's like, okay, are these people going into the music industry because they're gifted by God and they, they kind of have to feed their family or are they going into it as ministry? I'm, I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm here to uh, serve the church. Um, however, I still need to make money for my family. So, you know, it's, Mm-hmm. You know, some some people some people started off as this is just ministry, this is just ministry, and Lord blesses, and they they kind of get there, and then mm-hmm. it becomes business, and then it's it's well, still that's that, that was a kind of a question I was going to propose to the group is um, what what is the proper role, or how should Christians approach money and ministry? Because I think one on the one hand. Uh, this can also apply to churches and pastors and different concepts as well. But on one hand, like, yeah, we want things to be all for the glory of God. We want it to be a ministry where we bring glory to God, share the gospel, and we don't want there to be self-interest involved. On the other hand, if you want to fully invest yourself into ministry, you need to have money. You need to have investment. That either has to come from other parties that are working and generating money so that they can give you money, or it has to come from you selling a product or something. You have There has to be a way to make money to support the ministry. Um, money has to be coming from somewhere. And so the question then boils down to how should the industry be set up? What would be a more effective way of setting up the music industry or entertainment industry within the Christian world in general, that you can have the ministry side where you have people full-time dedicated to it, to make good music, to make solid Christian music, and that they're being supported to do so. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't become this popularity game. doesn't become this, um, uh, prideful game doesn't become this i need to claw up the industry and shake the right hands and kiss the right i don't know like make the right connections and get get myself up to the top like how do you how do you get the two like what's the what's the balance here here's i think the main major problem the artists are not in control of the music industry like the, the 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 labels the brands um the the main folks that are in control of it like, honestly, I, I think that part of the problem is the artist. Part of the problem is the machine that's been created to churn out artists that make the machine money. We've just we've we've built this whole model identically after the secular music industry with labels yeah. and labels signing artists to contracts and they get paid based on those contracts. They get royalties based on how many records they sell and how many concerts and tours they do and how many this they do and this, that, and the other they partner with that. I guarantee there's been times that people have been put on stages with folks. They don't want to be partnered with um, because their music label told them they had to. Um, I don't think that that's Shane and Shane. Uh, that's a whole nother conversation. I keep saying that, but um <laughs> All, all, all that to say, I think that there's a difference between, and I know some folks who work part-time at churches and make music on the side and do all these different things to serve and, and 
love the church, but also provide for their family and no one knows about them. Right. So I, I don't think it's just fame, but I do think that the industry itself has contributed to the problem. And so has consumers, we go to these concerts, we buy these albums, we, we worship these people and we, we go to these big conferences just to see them and sign autographs. We buy into the whole machine of Christian celebrity. And I think that's part of the problem too. Yeah. I think, um, I think also though there is, there is something to say about personal responsibility on, on behalf of the artist. I think that, Oh, I agree. Um, you're, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you do. This is just on top of everybody's point that, you know, if you are a Christian artist who got into ministry to, to minister, to write music that glorifies God or write books that glorifies God or whatever that may be, if you get to a point in your life where you're faced with a decision on whether to sell out and chase the money or continue to glorify God and maybe not make hardly any money, um, you need to ask yourself, what is my priority here? You know, is my priority glorifying God or is it chasing the money? And I don't think that it's wrong to make money. My wife and I own several businesses. However, we don't consider Bible dingers a business. Uh, that's a ministry. And so we're not really trying to make money off of it. Um, in the same way, I think that you know, if you're if you're any sort of Christian artist that wants to glorify God with your music, your your priority needs to be glorifying God. And if you're able to make um, a living off of that, that's fine. But as soon as your priority shifts to the money over the glorifying God, that's when you're in sin. That's when you need to hold yourself personally responsible for that. No matter if you're in a contract or whatever, I honestly think that if if even that you need to prioritize god over whatever earthly consequence comes with some sort of poor decision that you made in your career earlier yeah yeah and i, I do appreciate brooklyn lou being here um because he made a comment earlier about how christians should lay down their lives um but i i know he you know professes to be an atheist now um and being reformed as i am is just you know i I, I believe the guy's gonna do what he's gonna do in, in, in Brooklyn's life. Um, but I, I I appreciate Brooklyn seeing what we're talking about. Um, seeing the aspect of, you know, Christians are called to lay their lives down for Christ. They're, they're called to glorify God in all that they do. Um, but then there's a whole, like Pastor Jeremy said, there's a whole machine behind what they do and it kind of, dictates and going with what Ryan said when they're at that crossroads of, okay, I'm going to, I could go, I can go left and I could make buku cash, or I could continue to go. I could go right, make great music that glorifies Christ, mm -hmm. serve my local church, may not make any money, may have to work a job outside of music, but I, I just love God and I love being obedient to his word. Um, and because that machine is out there the christian music industry is, is is out there a lot of artists have to they have to choose one you know and sometimes and we don't know that we don't know the hearts of men so you know so uh, sometimes uh they may want to go the the right route and write good music and all this stuff but they're they may not have the backbone to stand up against their um 
their contract and their their whoever else is um, behind them legally, and they just truly just go the money route, and it's not music that they really want to make, um, but because they have talent, because the machine's behind them, because they're making money, they're that's where they're going. Well, and I think it's you can tell a lot by a church based on how they worship. Um, mm-hmm. what songs yeah. they sing, what value they put on the theology that songs communicate. Uh, there's a book back here on my, uh, I'm going to grab it because I think it's important. It's, I think it should be recommended reading or required reading for every pastor. And it's Christ-Centered Worship by Brian Chapel. I think this book outlines exactly uh, the, the heart of God in the church for us to worship. I mean, the the, the longest book in the Bible is a worship book. Oh, um, and, and, and that says something in, in the, the full range of emotion. So when we're talking about worship as believers, um, I think we have this new category that though we have like pop Christian music that isn't really worship, but it's trying to be worship. It's quasi worship. And it, I mean, uh, I, maybe I'm too narrow of a term of worship, but uh, corporate worship is maybe what I mean. Um, and and I think that when we get outside of corporate worship, we have to be very cautious about guarding our heart because I really do believe Scripture's clear that what we're meditating on is what is going to be the substance of what we think and do and act. And so are we meditating on God's law and God's word, or are we meditating on music that we like and sounds good? Um, I mean, you can make that case too about listening to, to secular music, but again, I think it's a Christian liberty issue, but it's more about, okay, if there, if God is being misportrayed and it's the most popular music, cause sure. I'll even be honest, we mentioned, uh, Sean fight fight earlier fight. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I don't agree with the lyrics he sings cause he comes right out of Bethel. So like even, even that guy who's pushing against the drag queen stuff, I would also say is is part of the machine that's just trying to push theology of their own design um, by way of the music industry. Yeah. So, Hey, uh, this is a, uh, this is a little off topic and it may not be the time or place, but uh, Brooklyn Lou, I've seen you on a couple of our live streams before. And if you're in Brooklyn, uh, shoot me an email, man, Bible dingers at gmail.com. Our, our church is in Brooklyn in Bensonhurst and, uh, I'd love to connect with you, man. Love to. And let me tell you something. If you dislike uh, quality production, then <laughs> we are the we are the church for you because our production is really just horrible. I can say that because I'm on the worship team. I'm not criticizing at the worship team. I'm criticizing myself along with the worship team. You live in you know, Florida. Honestly, I'd love to connect with you, man. Come out. No, he lives in Florida. He is. He, he's probably from oh. Brooklyn, but he lives. Uh, so maybe you. maybe pastor maybe pastor john maybe pastor yeah, john hook up with uh john adams in orlando um he is a worship pastor out there no yeah lou and and our advice so much isn't necessarily directed at you i think your question was a great question and it forces yeah, us absolutely. as christians to really think more um deeply about these things and it's not to say that we just dislike a christian artist or dislike the industry but i think that these are questions that are kind of uh helpful to think through because if we're going to say we're about following Jesus and then everything is pointed at following Christ, yet we have this whole industry that is seemingly not at times. 
uh, yeah, well, how do we reconcile that? So, well, guys, this has been fun. Um, any, any closing thoughts, something that you didn't get to say that you wish you said, did I miss a comment? I mean, we still got folks here. We can keep going. I'm not in a hurry to go anywhere. I do want to get to watching hard knocks at some time tonight as I'm a Jets fan, uh, as is Daryl, but, uh, other than that, I've got nothing planned, so we can keep going. <laughs> I was just gonna say, um, again, I don't, for whatever it's worth, um, to either Brooklyn, Brooklyn Lou, or to anyone, maybe somebody who's more skeptical or church hurt or whatever it may be. Um, sometimes I think it's also important for us as people in general to evaluate where our decisions coming from. Is it coming from a point of logic? cool problem like i don't i can't grasp the intellectual side of something or is it coming from maybe a more emotional pain like i don't understand why christians aren't behaving the way they should be or the way they profess they should be and the only reason why i ask i bring this up is because in reference to the music topic um there's a lot of problems with the production of christian music there's a lot of problems with how the industry functions and that definitely seems to have tainted a view of christianity um in this case. And I think it's important for us to start. I think it's important for people to look at what does the Bible say? What does Christianity actually speak about? And is this behavior aligning with what's actually being professed as the truth? And if it's not aligning with it, then it's not aligned with Christianity. Um, and so Christianity should be thrown out with that behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, because even though someone might have hijacked the name Christian, it doesn't mean now it is actually Christian. There's a lot of people who call themselves things that they aren't. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, so I just think that's something that we should all do in our personal lives, evaluate why we're making a decision, um, and actually try to look into it deeper and the fundamental truths and stuff behind it. But I think that's just the only thing I would maybe add to that. So we did, we did get a question down here. Where in Orlando is pastor John? He's at Orlando Baptist church. Uh, it is on Samorian Boulevard, Orlando, Florida, United States. There you go. Uh, here I can show. I'm not, I'm not lying. I pulled it up off of the Facebooks. There we go. If you want to check out Pastor John's church, it's a, it's a great place. I've seen him. And then I had to, I had to give a shout out. I was laughing as you were talking, LT. Uh, yeah, because tales. in my head, I'm here. Bump, 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 bump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> and then here's the rest I, of it. <sighs> but anyway, yes. I had to. I had to also laugh a little bit because talking about production, um, I go to a Mennonite church, and like every other Sunday, we're singing hymns without instruments. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh man, like this this production, like the most production we get is a piano and our worship team. Um, so yeah, that, that'll be an interesting topic to talk about RTW and I'm sorry, RPW, MPW. That'll be very, very interesting. And I think all of our churches, uh, you know, have different, yeah. Every single one of our churches have different styles. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Ryan, did you, did you get your hookup with what we, what you sent us a few weeks ago and you guys got all right. Your a church, new sound system you needed, right? Still looking. Um, we got, we oh, got the hookup. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Good. Oh, good, good, good. awesome. Awesome. That's what's up. That's what's up. Well, guys, it's been a blast. This has been fun. Uh, in the, as, as Matt said it, not I, he said in the chat, this was a 
five fire or is that four four fire podcast we'll go for a five fire next time uh but appreciate you all being here tune in oh, next no, week brooklyn has, a, brooklyn has another question brooklyn ask your Did question I, brother i missed one i missed ask one where question, is it brooklyn absolutely no he said he he he, he has a question an honest and personal question absolutely oh ask please question, if, if I, you're if you're willing to yeah absolutely either that or you can email uh BibleDingers at gmail.com and he can answer it for you as well. <laughs> there I'll you forward go. it to Jeremy. <laughs> but yeah, Brooklyn, if you want to ask your question, we can hang around Please. for a few more moments. Oh, we're not in a hurry. Yeah. I, I mean, I we also, uh, you always have to remember with live streams and stuff, there's a little bit delay, you know, like yeah. the moment oh, they hear yeah. us is moments after we say it. Yeah. Let me, let me see if the, his comments on YouTube, let me, let me double check. Hasn't he popped up here for me yet. Yeah. yeah. Let me, let me just double, double check. I'm hungry for a salad now. <laughs> we could talk, we could talk about how sad veggie tales is now that the IP got sold. Um, not that I agreed with all the theology it presented beforehand, but it has zero theology now. So that's what happens. That's what happens. Here we go. It's here. Question. I have some experience in music biz. Ah, that gives us some context. That's awesome. I do not see one difference at all between secular music biz and Christian music biz. Does that bother any of you like me? Mm. I think what, I mean, I think it's a little bit more nuanced in my head. It, to me, it depends on what those similarities are. I mean, if they run, you know, if they both use spreadsheets to track sales and stuff like, yeah, well, that's every business. So I'm not sure exactly what similarities you're, you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of what I was, well, that was kind of what I was thinking as well. I was like, I'm curious what similarities we're speaking of, because I mean, obviously you can have like I work for as I work for a business that sells appliances. Um, and it's run by Christians who, um, try to, you know, they, they try to flesh out their Christian beliefs. Um, and then I know appliance businesses that are run by secular people, but the business model looks very similar. Um, so like, I guess it depends on what type of similarities we're talking about, but go ahead, Jeremy. No. Yeah. I think the same thing that, uh, it depends upon, I think it depends. I do think it's concerning. I think it should cause us pause to think and at least ask the question, is this glorifying God in the way that right. we're doing business? And right. that doesn't necessarily mean the model has to be different. I'm not saying that you can't have labels, that you can't have um, an industry. I don't think that that in itself is wrong. I do think that uh, when we're considering uh, the enjoyment of music, and, and here's where I'll Lou asks a follow-up question. He asks, um, why would the worship of God ever be monetized? Well, um, we hope this channel gets monetized, and I think all things are worship. Uh, I think we need like 10 more subs, so if you're not subbed yet, sub to the channel. Uh, <laughs> Got to work it in there somewhere. No, but yeah, you do. So if we're talking about monetized, what do we mean by that? I lead worship. I'm, I'm paid by staff to lead worship, to lead Bible studies, to disciple people. Is that the worship of God being monetized? Um, I think there's a difference between um, the the dollar running the show and the and what Ryan said before, which was 
Um, is it about the glory of God? Is it, And if that's the decision you're making between, then I think it should look different. I think you should see Christian artists saying, you know what? I'm not going to go play at the Grammys because I don't want to be there. Right. I think that that's an, that's, that should be part of the Christian music artist. But I also think there's a difference between the, the contemporary Christian music of today. That's pop Christianity and worship. I don't go to mm -hmm. uh, the top 40 to worship God. I go to the top 40 because maybe I trust what I'm listening to and maybe I shouldn't. I mean, I was going to, in regard to whether or not should the worship of God ever be monetized. I, the first thing I thought of was from the old Testament where we think of um, the Levites who were supported by the Israelite community and they were, they, they weren't supposed to work outside of their priestly duties. They were supposed to focus on their priestly ministerial duties and they were supported by the community monetarily. Um, and I mean, and because of, again, it's hard to make direct comparisons from the Bible to now because they didn't live in a capitalist society. Um, mm -hmm. so their economics is completely different. Um, but in regard to ministry and monetization, I do believe people involved in worship, people involved in active ministry, they, they should be supported if possible financially so they can do it full time. I don't think in of itself, it's wrong to make sure. money off of music or it's wrong to make money off of entertainment. Um, Cause I, I think the issue is what are, how are you marketing it? Um, so like if, if you're a ministry, let's just say you're a musical artist um and you are singing pure worship music it's biblically accurate it's all that and you get you build an audience of people who actually want to listen to something on the radio in their car or on their phone that actually is edifying you are actually edifying people and they are willing to give you money to support you in your endeavor so you can continue to make more edifying music um that can actually lift up the church and not tear it down that sort of system can be honoring to God. It can be helpful because you're not, because then Christians can be like, Oh, I'm actually supporting someone who is helping the church. Mm -hmm. um, but the moment that the, the moment that the artist or whatever changes their campaign to be like, I want to maximize my dollar. So I want to reach people in the church and outside the church and, you know, water down the message for that reason. So I can make more money. This is where the, that's definitely where the system goes amok. When you try to maximize your reach by going outside the church, of I mean, when I say church, I mean like people who truly authentically believe. Um, when you try to go outside of that and start trying to get a bigger audience, that's when things start going awry because now it's becoming about the money. Now you're no longer about edifying the church. Now you're all about the money. Um, so, so let me let me yeah. let me um, let me push back a little bit, and I want to hear your follow through. Um, you know, obviously we're supposed to build up the church, edify the church, you know, encourage one another in the Lord, stuff like that. <laughs> good, good, Jeremy. So um, we can chop that up, edit it up. But uh, uh, how are we to reach the world? How let's say reach the world, gain a bigger audience to reach the world, still love the church, make God glorifying music, but also reach the world with our music. Do you, do you think someone can reach the world and still glorify God without watering down? Uh, I mean, I would say that if you wired on the message, you're not reaching the world with anything. So like at the end of the day, if um, a Christian artist 
makes a song about everyone should love each other. And that's the whole essence of the song. Everyone love each other. Everyone love each other. Hooray, hooray. Everyone love each other. And that's it. It might sell. It might hit hit the big off big box office and everyone's listening to it. Everyone loves it. But there's no message behind it. There's no sure. actual gospel behind it. So it won't actually uh, it won't do anything. Um, mm-hmm. It won't actually be impactful for the kingdom. Um, so if the message isn't there in your music, you're not really reaching the culture with Christianity or the gospel. You're just filling the culture with more empty noise. Mm. Um, so I think I think you can. I think the people who will come across the music, who will come across the content, um, who are outside of the church, they might hear the message. And if they find the true message compelling, they will continue to listen. And if the music is actually good, obviously, they will compel them to listen as well. Um, so I think getting rid of the message to watering down the message to reach a wider audience is It's not going to do anything. So yeah, you have to keep the message. Um, but you still have to make good music. So yeah, it's just one of those things. Uh, the message is the most important part of that, that aspect. I agree. All right. Good round two. (laughs) Well, and, and, and so as, as we're thinking about how this all plays out, I think the challenge becomes then what do we do? How, how do we rightly approach those who are giving a watered-down message of the gospel? Because I'll tell you right now, mm. go through the top 40 Christian music right now. Look at the lyrics. <laughs> Look at the lyrics. And I've done this. I've done this multiple times on my channel. I've looked at all kinds of different things. Um, I mean, it's mostly run by four churches. If you look at the, the top 100 songs, it all comes out of Bethel, Hillsong, Elevation, and Jesus Culture. Um, I mean, almost all over 40% right there of the top 100 is just those churches. And unfortunately, I would say all of those churches have dangerous theology. And, and yeah. so even if we're getting out of the pop culture talk into the made for the church, these are songs made for the church to be sung by the church. We're not even that cautious about it, guys. We're many churches, and I know uh, Josh and I have had this conversation. If, if Josh is still here, just kind of thinking through, like, how do we think more biblically about the words we're singing? Because sure. we should be singing clarity as much as we're speaking clarity, and I think that that should filter down into everything. Unfortunately, we haven't had a good balance in the arts at times, where sometimes. We haven't been creative enough to keep the message and do high production. And so that's why mm-hmm. Ryan made the joke he did about Christian movies being what they are. Sometimes they hold to the message and it's just cringe. Um, I think you I think you can do both. And if you want to experience both, subscribe to the Why Jesus Network because we're going right. to try to do both. That's right. That's right. You know, I think... Um... Uh, I I mean I can't stand Christian music. I think it's it's really kind of cruddy, um, and that's that's you know a given. But uh, I think that what would be great, and this could be me just living in an imaginary world. But what would be great is if instead of us using our efforts to talk about you know the bad things that are in the current um, top top Christian songs, it would be wonderful if there was some other group that we could point folks to because all of these groups are um, not only 
they're not only keeping the message the message, but they make wonderful music and things like that too. Um, you know, I only know a couple of them. And so I think that if there's there's folks that are musically talented that love the Lord and want to glorify him, I think those people should, you know, let the call rest on their life and they should make godly music that worships the Lord, you know. Um, use the use the talents that God gave you hmm. to to bring glory to his name. Uh and and I think there's a there's a good amount of us that would support you in that endeavor. So and in this day and age, you don't need to go through a label or go through the traditional network anymore. You can do it independently now. Like nowadays, there's a lot of ways to do do music independently without going through a label and going through the industry. Um, and there's people who've broken loose doing that as well. So, um, I mean, yeah, we don't you don't have to go through the machine. Yeah, well, you know, it actually probably is time to go because John just showed back up again. Um, but <laughs> but no, I, Lou, Lou, thank you so much for asking your questions, brother. I appreciate you. I appreciate you asking those questions and the rest of you feel free to ask questions. Any podcast, we will do our best to get to them. We want this to be a conversation, not just a monologue with four yeah. folks hopping on here. It'll be a different crew next week as we get together. And ultimately our goal with doing all of this is bringing together lots of different creators who all love Christ, who might disagree on finer matters of doctrine, but have the essentials together. And we do that because we know that we are all desiring to glorify God above all things. And that's why we wouldn't be putting folks on this platform. Um, that's a whole nother conversation too, of, of platforming leaders that I think shouldn't be platformed. Um, we yep. can do that in another time too. So but again, thank you for being here, guys. I appreciate you. We will catch you on the next one, which will be next Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern, back here on the Why Jesus Network. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching this episode of the Why Jesus Podcast. Make sure you click that bell for notifications so you don't miss the next time we go live and answer the most important question, Why Jesus. We'll see you live every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Until next time, peace.